1: Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs,
2: go to eastport.info.
1: Now let's get this show started.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur. Your host, Brad Hurlbus, and today we have Aaron with the Quacks and Quivers YouTube channel. Welcome to the show, Aaron.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it's always fun to get on another Wisconsin hunter, someone that's doing the YouTube game, which I don't play with at all because I don't have the time or the patience to edit video. Like, the most you'll ever see out of me is a 10-second reel because that's about all my attention span is because it's Squirrel and I'm off to something else. (laughs) So... Yeah, man, am excited to have you on. Um, I like to start my shows the same way, so we'll just stick with that format because it works. How'd you get into hunting? Was it a long-time thing with your family, or did you kind of take it up on your own?
3: Yeah, so I uh, actually started off on my mom's side. My right. grandpa and my uncle, they got land up in Superior, Wisconsin. Um, so it just kind of started when I was younger, just rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, deer hunting, and then it just kind of progressed into me like channeling my own route through hunting and discovering duck hunting and start doing that, start doing like goose hunting, get more in depth into deer hunting. Uh, and it just kind of branched off from that and just started a, a spiral of anything outdoors that I could do.
2: Sure. That's the way it kind of seems to work. I took it up on myself and I started with waterfowl, but that led into everything else. And then that led to me loving the dog work, which drug me into upland hunting. And that's where I spend most of my time now, but I mean, growing up with a family, I mean, so up in Superior, I'm assuming, did you do, like, deer camp then? Because, I mean, that's a hike from southern Wisconsin. That's not a small drive. So for deer season, like, did you guys have the full-on deer camp then?
3: Uh, Sort of. So my my uh, grandpa and half of my mom's side live permanently up in Superior. Uh, So we just stay at their house, and they just got land behind their house. Um, But, yeah, it almost felt as if it was a deer camp, even though it was their house. I mean, everyone was – everything was blaze orange. Everybody had deer photos out, um, rifles all over, ATVs running, trucks running. And it's, it's always more of like a, because it is Thanksgiving as well for here in Wisconsin, you know, it's, it's more than just deer hunting. I mean, Thanksgiving, you get to sit around, hang out with your family, tell stories, stories, just, you know, I, I listen to my grandpa and he'll just talk about stories forever about you know how when he was younger, and how much it's changed over the years of not only the public land but private land hunting and how it's adapted with the internet and everything today.
2: Sure, it's a completely different world out there. I mean, I mean, from Onyx and Google Maps and satellite photography, and just the knowledge that's out there, just publicly available for. A lot of it's free. I mean, you can use a lot of county GIS websites and state websites to look at public lands. Now you don't have to pay for Onyx, but paying for Onyx opens up just a super simple application just to like look up landowner's name or to find all the public land. I mean, when I first got started in this, my I had printed maps from wardens showing me like where the private land open to public hunting was because there just wasn't good tools on the internet yet.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy what you can do with it. And I guess I use it every year. Uh, Definitely when it comes to like goose hunting and getting permission for private fields, it just makes it easier. You're just able to click on a field, see who owns it, see where they're located. And you know, if you got any good luck, you can hopefully win over the field and get on a good goose hunt. But I mean, not only that, it's, they have so many different applications where it comes to like, if you're tracking a deer, you can start a track in the woods and then it'll just pick up where you go and it'll just follow you and it'll mark your whole track route out so if you lose Bud, you can get back on it see where you last saw blood and mark tree stands trail cams where you saw deer there's there's so many different applications for it it's crazy what you can do with today's world oh i
2: agree completely i haven't i'm still old school when it comes to tracking deer like i haven't used onyx for that yet like i'm still like little pieces of toilet paper or something like that that like will like (laughs) disintegrating rain still um i've been pretty lucky the last three deer i've shot neither one's gone more than like 50 yards like i haven't really had to track anything it's just been like oh there it is so i've gotten pretty lucky there but i also haven't been archery hunting at all i've just i've kind of skipped over archery season to focus on birds so i i just
3: gun hunt now and i just use large bore rifles that make big blood trails yeah it's always a plus it's (laughs) it's always nervous using a bow you know i mean you can you can practice however many times you want, but there's so much more error when it comes to a bowl than there is a rifle. And it's but it's it's a thrill that you know it's something I can only get from hunting whitetails with a bow.
2: It is a completely different experience than hunting with a gun. Agreed one. I mean, it's a different time of year to begin with, and there's far more anticipation, like at least normally, like for us around here for gun season, the rut's pretty much over. Maybe on a really early year, you might get a little tail end of chasing, but that's still pretty much done. I mean, that's Halloween weekend, first week in a November, first week in November is like at least in my areas where it's always been historically peak activity for the rut. And when you're out there with Bo and you've got, I mean, the last time I was out there with my Bo, I mean, I've got this doe just head down, just walking in front of me, sniffing in this big box right behind her and keeps looking at me. And then right back to the doe, and the doe has no idea I'm there. And this buck like takes three steps, and looks at me again. The buck knows for sure I'm there, but he's so focused on the doe he won't run, he won't leave the doe. And the doe doesn't know I'm there, so they, yeah. they walk right in front of me, and I screwed up. I rushed the shot, I missed, and I'm like, oh, that's like the biggest buck I've ever had a chance at too. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> it's
3: yeah, sometimes just- totally they really, they really just completely let their guard down. Definitely, if they're trailing a hot dough or with a dough, they they usually won't leave that the side. And
2: in my head, like, and that's an experience for me cause I'm not, I'm not a huge archery hunter. It's nothing I've I've done it for a few years now and it's nothing. it's not a big focus of mine. Cause like I said, in October, I'm normally up North chasing grouse with my dog. So I had more time, like even with like, with duck hunting, we always say like, you have more time than you think, right? Like you call the shot, like everybody's like, Oh, let's shoot right when you got, you got enough time to get your gun shouldered, pick out a bird. I mean, it, you can slow things down and still have birds plenty within range and I didn't even take that whole mentality or any of those lessons with me. I'm just like, I got to shoot this thing right now. Cause it's, the, the doe's going to see me. And, and I had way more time than what I thought.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's always a struggle though. I mean, you're trying to, and I mean, they can hear like none other too, you know, if your shoulder brushes up against the tree or you drag your bowstring across your arm or even on the cam locks, like, you know, sometimes those things are kind of loud and they can hear you and it's, you got so many different emotions and adrenaline going and it's crazy.
2: I agree. But it's, it's a, it's a fun kind of crazy. It, it is. It, it also drives you nuts too. At least it drove me nuts. Cause like you get big bucks on your camera and you feel like you got them patterned. And then like you pick the stand, which you think is right for the wind. And you really have, you really don't see much during that day. And then you go out and you like swap your trail camp. I'd swap my trail camera cars before i leave. And all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, I would have just sat in this stand.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, at the end of the day, they're wild animals and mother nature is crazy. So you can, you can have as many ducks in a row as you want, but sometimes you're still just rolling the dice at the end of the end of the day. You know I mean? A buck can decide whichever way he wants to end his pattern and go a different way out of his bedding area. But you've been watching him go, let's say he goes South every day for the last four days. And then that one day you sit there, wind could be perfect and he decides to go North. Right. You never know.
2: <laughs> it's kind of the fun of it though. Kind of the fun of it. So did you start archery hunting then? Did you take that up on your own? Cause I know you're going up to superior for, for gun season. Did you also start heading up there or do you start, are you chasing those? Are you chasing with archery around the public land here?
3: Yeah. So I, I actually started, oh, let's think I've, I've always shot a bow just for fun uh, when I was younger, but then I really got into archery hunting. I think around 18, um, I went out, bought a nice compound, started practicing with it, started doing some more research on it. And I pretty much took a whole year on a piece of public land. It was like 1200 acres in Waukesha County. Um, and I like took just that property and I just tore it all apart. I took everything I knew, everything I could get off YouTube or Google or talking to guys who've been hunting that property for a while and I actually was, ended up being successful on November 7th. I shot my first buck with a bow and it was, it had to be like 10 minutes after shooting light. It was like first thing in the morning, super crunchy. And all the leaves were freezing cold. So you could hear the thing coming from a couple hundred yards. And I was sitting there and I'm just shaking in the stand before the thing even showed up. And I I knew it was coming right at me. The wind was perfect. And I was able to make a, it was like 12 yard shot on the thing and it ran like 75 yards. So I was, I was happy that I, I got a double lung. So I was happy I was able to harvest that animal without it really running too far. And it was just a quick lethal kill. So that's always, always makes it easier. But yeah, it was, that kind of hooked me right there with archery hunting. It was, it was crazy.
2: Sure. I mean. I've never experienced, I've never experienced the deer coming from that far away. Like where I hunt, it's kind of swampy and you get a good freeze, but still like in that swamp mud, they can stay pretty quiet. Like, I mean, I don't know how deer stay as quiet as they do, but to have that coming from hundreds of yards away and you can just hear every crunch by the time it got there, like it had to, have felt like an eternity.
3: Oh, it did. And it, and it was super overcast too. So it was super dark in the morning and I, I ended up hearing the thing. And I was like, the thing's got to be right here. And I was hunting on the edge of this thicket. And that thicket was like, I don't know, I had to be 15, 20 yards from the edge of my stand. And, you know, I could hear it coming and I just could not see the thing. And I'm like, it's got to be right in front of me, you know? And yeah, sure enough, next thing you know, like 20 yards away, I see just this rack coming through and I drew on it and it stepped out. And the first two steps it took out of that thicket, I was able to stop it and... Get a good shot on it. That's perfect. That's perfect.
2: So that was your first one. Is that the biggest one then? Is that, is that still your biggest buck to date? Have you been able to go find something a little bigger? Or?
3: Yeah. So two years ago now, I uh, I actually ended up bull hunting this property that my buddy actually get, got in uh, Brookfield. And I lived in Brookfield at the time. And there's some pretty big bucks out there. And luckily enough, he was able to let me hunt it. And I kind of did the same thing with that property. I kind of tore it all apart, checked everything out, was trying to figure out where bedding was and where the deer were trafficking through. And it had a decent amount of water in the property as well. So they were bedding kind of close to the water. Um, And there was pressure around, but I was limited. And that was the only thing I didn't like, because I only had that 40 some acre plot. And it's like, yeah, it's private. But at the same time, I was like, you know, if a a buck was bedding just outside the property. There's nothing I could do about it. Right. Um, So that kind of got frustrating. And it's, it was funny because I actually patterned a couple bucks and there was this one 12 pointer that I patterned like almost down to the minute. And it was a a Thursday and it was like, it was a week into bow season, I think. Um, so just end of September, bugs are still screaming, mosquitoes everywhere, still warm temperatures. I was wearing like a, just a long sleeve shirt and I went right after work. I was like, you know what? The wind's perfect. Like this is when it it's coming around, weather's dropping a little bit. So I hurried up, got out of work, went over there and I actually ended up shooting a buck that I've never even had on camera. And I thought it was that buck I had on camera. Uh, but this one's got split brow tines and the one I was getting on camera didn't. And I ended up shooting him at ten yards, and he dropped right in his tracks. So that was awesome. uh, that was pretty crazy. And it wasn't it wasn't a huge deer compared to some of the biggest deer that are sh- getting shot here in Wisconsin. But sure. it was a one twenty seven. But for me, that was the biggest buck, and still is the biggest buck I've shot.
2: That's there, um, that, there's nothing to complain about. About I mean, one twenty seven is a big deer. I mean, that's a big buck.
3: Oh at least yeah, to me, that's
2: a big buck. I mean that. <laughs> I don't have anything anywhere close to that. I mean, that's that's a big buck to me.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm 100% satisfied with it. But now it just got that itch going where I'm like, now that I've I've shot two bucks with a bow, uh, I haven't shot a doe with a bow, but I've shot a lot of does with a with a gun. Shot one buck with a gun. Um, now I'm getting a little more patient, and I'm trying to chase after those bigger deer now and kind of enjoy the cat and mouse game that they play with you.
2: Sure change your experience a little bit and I think everybody kind of goes through that little evolution in different ways where at first it's like trying to get that kill and now it's like well I've done that now I want to enjoy more of the experience and that cat mouse game of that and trying to pattern those big buck that that's a completely different experience I mean that's taking it to another level
3: yeah and it's I I enjoy the challenge you know a lot of guys can go out there with a gun and shoot a deer uh but for me with the archery thing, it's, you got to get pretty close and personal with those bucks and some of those big bucks. I mean, you make one little snap on a twig and they're, they're gone and out of there and they won't ever run that trail again. So it's, it's definitely hard playing that, but I think that's why I enjoy it the most.
2: Absolutely. I mean, they're that big for a reason, right? I mean, it's not like they're a two-year-old deer when they're getting big around here. I mean, they've seen a few seasons now they've seen probably a few hunters by that point. They're, they're, they're getting older and wiser. I mean, it's just shows you how much better and how much more advanced you have to take the whole entire hunt in your game to try to
3: get on those big bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. And now that I'm doing everything on public land, I kind of strayed away from private, except for uh gun deer, I'll still hunt with my uncle and my grandpa up there. And, but for, for as far as archery goes, I'm going to stick to public in Wisconsin. I mean, we have, I, I can't, put an exact number on it but i know it's over like a million acres or something like that here in wisconsin there's a lot of land um i think it's like 33 million acres or something like that it's it's crazy um your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like thai ginger l-theanine and caffeine brainy chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus stay chill or get energized be kind to your mind and get these Nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles; we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at
3: Marines.com. So I'm gonna keep running that, but I mean, there's some huge bucks I've seen, even duck hunting on public property, and I mean, they're just monsters. But like what you were saying, they figured out the people, they figured out the pressure, and they know where to go. Absolutely. And
2: the duck hunting thing brings like a brings a different like aspect to it as well. Because some of the public land that I'm lucky enough that I have private land here I can hunt. And because I don't focus on deer hunting. Like what I do find, I let my friends know that don't have private land or they're big into archery hunting. And like different spots I've scouted for duck hunting. I've been like, some of them are kayak hunters. A lot of them are kayak hunters just because I'm really big into the kayak fishing and hunting thing. But I'll be like, hey. Launch here, come in the backside with your kayak. There's a trail this far off the water. Use the wind. No one can. They, no one can get behind you. Like, there's big bucks roaming here. Like, and I'll give them that because there's just you just see a different view when you're out in the water duck hunting and you're approaching from an angle that deer aren't used to being attacked from. Basically.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean they'll run like they'll run creeks and lake edges, and it's like it's almost like a safety barrier for them, you know, because they are like they don't they don't never have any threats that are usually coming from water. So it's. I mean, I even snuck up when me and my brother, we were archery hunting this, uh, that public land. I shot that buck out of, we took a canoe into it actually. And we didn't have arrows, knock, nothing, just bows laying in the bottom of the canoe. We're just paddling and all of a sudden this 10 pointer stands up five, 10 yards from the (laughs) little creek that we're paddling in on and you know, we're Fumbling around trying to get a bow and he's just sitting there staring at us and we were no idea what you are at yeah, that we, point. He had a good wind and he was you that buck just never even seen it. So he was just sitting there trying to figure out what we were. Well, we just looked like a bunch of fools fumbling around in the canoes <laughs> trying to get a bow and then the thing finally bounded off. But yeah, I and mean, it just goes to show you they'll bed and they'll cruise right along that water edge and they don't have any threats coming from there usually.
2: It's a completely different way to look at hunting. That's for sure. And it's something I look at for, if I go back to public land hunting, I will definitely act, utilize water access far more than I ever did in the past. Just because you don't have to worry about scent intrusion. You don't have to worry about making a ton of noise. You can get in so much quieter if you paddle in. I mean, there's just so many different advantages, as long as the properties that you're hunting have good water access. I mean, if there's no water, you can't use this technique, obviously. But if you've got a property that sits like backside of a marsh or a river and you can get into areas deeper, quieter, it's just a big advantage.
3: Oh, yeah, I would agree.
2: So how do you so I got so this this has me curious. How do you balance the bow hunting with duck hunting? Like, how do, how do you balance that? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a tricky game. That's for okay. sure. Every year I always tell myself I'm going to give myself more time to bow hunt, um, to chase more deer. And I always end up duck hunting more than I end up bow hunting. But um, it's a hard balance. I'm I'm a really big early season bow hunter. I mean, that's when I ended up. Harvesting that buck I shot two years ago was just the end of September. Um, and I've had really good luck with patterning bucks really, really early in the season. And from everything I've experienced and seen throughout public land, there's not too many guys that hunt. Um, not only it's it's hot, it's muggy out, there's mosquitoes everywhere. Not a lot of guys like dealing with it. And some guys just sure. wait for the rut. You know, they're like, oh, you just shoot big bucks during the rut. Which I mean, is true, there's a lot of people that are shooting monster bucks during the rut, but in my experiences, you can really get on those big bucks early season before you got all these guys tromping through the woods, carrying their stands through, dragging scent halfway across all the public land. So that's, I wouldn't say it's my favorite time to hunt, but for bow season, I think it's the, gives me the most opportunities.
2: Sure. Makes sense. The deers, there's less pressure on the deer too. Cause like, there's just less people hunting. So there's less pressure, they're easier to pattern cause their patterns aren't being changed by random hunting pressure. Yeah. So no, that makes sense. So I get it. Like that's how you balance it. You just try to tag out early enough. So you have a whole duck season in front of you.
3: Yeah. I mean, you kind of get, if you skip the Northern opener that we have here in Wisconsin, you get roughly two weeks before the Southern zone for waterfall opens. So I'll do like early teal and early goose until bow season opens. And then I'll hunt that for two weeks and then I'll transition into duck hunting. But I think this year, uh, even if I don't tag out early, I'll still probably give more time to archery hunting. I really want to start chasing a big buck again. It's, it's just something that you don't get from duck hunting. Sure. Even though I, I enjoy duck hunting, I enjoy goose hunting, but I, uh, I think it's this year for me to start chasing big bucks again. It's
2: a different, it's a different game. It really is. I mean, there's a, I love duck hunting. Uh, I love the camaraderie. I love having other people in the blind with me. I love mentoring new hunters. That's one thing I really enjoy a lot is mentoring new hunters. Um, and it's fun. I mean, it's a lot of work. And it's probably the most work I do all year is setting decoys, pulling decoys, waist deep in mud, everything else that goes with it. <laughs> But at the end of the day, it's just fun. But I would agree. I mean, I I love watching a good flock of mallards cupped up coming into the decoys, be like, yeah, I got them. Like this is like this is it. I love that. But I would like it doesn't have the same adrenaline rush like as a deer for me. I, I completely understand like that. Like after a good flock of ducks come in, I'm not shaken. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you got a big buck come in, you let an arrow fly, or even you're during gun deer, you get a big buck walk through or I even so get excited when I shoot a doe what am I talking about like like I I go out for the doe only hunt because we eat a lot of venison here I mean one deer won't last us an entire season because we eat a lot of venison like we don't buy ground beef anymore we try to eat only ground venison stuff like that anyways um I'm shaking afterwards like after I pull that trigger like for deer hunting I'm shaking like it's a completely different adrenaline rush than duck hunting but Oh yeah, there's there's just something about that. It's some early mornings on the marsh, and the marsh, like the ducks starting to fly, and everything wakes up. There's something about it
3: that just keeps drawing me back to it. Yeah, I love it. And I don't know, people call me crazy, but I love the I love the way a marsh smells. You know, I, for me, it's like the muckier the better. And in my experiences, I, a lot of a lot of clean marshes, you know, something that's real cookie cutter and you type in marsh on google and the first images to show up are are that marsh you know for me i don't shoot a lot of ducks in places like that you know it's where stuff's all gnarly looking and just overgrown water all over the place mud everywhere waist deep in muck just those are the places that i really get into the ducks and sure. a lot of guys don't like tromping through that stuff and i mean that's fine with me i'll, I'll do it you can save the fields for me and i'll i'll get back there
2: no, I mean, I think part of that too, is like you said, I mean, with all types of hunting, the more, the more effort you put in, the farther back you're willing to go, the harder you scout normally all pays out in the end. And if people aren't willing to get back to where those ducks are, there's less pressure there. So when they do get shot up, they're like, it turns into a safe haven for them. So the less people there, everything else, it all just kind of compounds into making it a far better hunt, even though
3: it takes a lot more work to get there, but it's that work that keeps people out. Yeah. Yeah and, and kind of adding to that is you know there's there's always going to be other guys hunting and eventually someone will figure out the spots that you're pushing into and I mean they'll they'll either hear you out shooting and you know wonder like oh you know like where where are those guys and they'll start going on Onyx maps looking at like oh there's a pond back there or there's a creek running through here or people eventually will figure it out but I always uh I always try to play the pressure you know sure. so like opening day you got a good chance almost everywhere you go. You know, the ducks haven't been shot at yet. They're used to flying around these marshes. And almost every every spot you go that's got a good amount of ducks, you'll, you'll not necessarily limit, but as long as you're doing decent, I think you'll have a good day. But then after that, you know, these guys, I'd say 75% of the guys I see, they'll hunt the same slough or the same marsh all year long, whether there's ducks there or not. They'll just keep shooting it. And they're like, oh, well two years ago on that Thursday, I, we shot a three man and it's like, okay, like that's, I don't disagree. Like that marsh can be good, but I, I always play off of the pressure and I try to stay one step ahead of the pressure. And it's like, if there's guys that are hunting these marshes and going into these sloughs, I know the ducks they're going to go over here or they're going to go to the South end of the marsh or, or they'll fly over the trees into this Creek or something and try to get away from the guys. So I always try to play the pressure when it comes to public land duck hunting.
2: And that makes sense. I mean, that's a huge factor with it. It's trying to, it's a lot of scouting too. I don't think, I think a lot of people stop scouting throughout the season as well. Cause I think they get into those routines where there should be, if there's ducks here, they should be in this marsh. Or I've had ducks here in past previous years, they should come back where something might've changed where they're not there. And they just keep hunting those same reliable places, which aren't really always reliable. Whereas that mid season scouting really can pay those dividends Cause you're trying to like, you it keeps you on the birds.
3: Oh yeah. I would hundred percent agree. And, and there's, I mean, there's people, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't have four hours a night to go scout or whatever it may be. And it's like, you don't necessarily need four hours to scout. I mean, I find, I would say 90% of the spots that I hunt, I either find the birds going to it or see the birds dropping into it and that's gotta be the last half hour of light is usually right. when you figure that stuff out. Cause I'll either see the birds coming out of a spot out of some flooded dogwoods or dumping into a hole way back where I didn't see it during the day. And or you can't see over the cattails. And then all of a sudden you just see these birds start pouring in over there and you go on Google Maps and you're like, oh you know, this this could have some water in it. You know, the water levels up I might not be able to take the boat back in there or take a canoe, but it's public and I can tromp through the cattails. And sure enough, you know, you tromp a couple hundred yards, and there she is. You know, there's a pond and ducks come pouring out, and that's just where they've been hiding.
2: Right, right. I mean, and and you hit it on the head right there. I mean, it's really only when I'm out scouting, I'll I only go I go to one specific spot pretty much, and I kind of sit there for sunset to see where the ducks are either coming from or going to. Like, if I think there's ducks in this area, I'll watch to see where they get up and go to know which way they're coming or where they were, or if they're coming back to where I thought they would be, if that's the roost. I won't try to, I won't spend three, like you said, four hours driving around, unless if it's early season goose hunting and I'm trying to find fields that they're in, like cut fields, that's slightly different. But for the duck hunting, I mean, I'll just run out after work. Like I'll eat dinner with the wife and everything else. I'll grab the dog. We'll jump, we'll jump in the truck and we'll be like, all right, let's go check this marsh. And I'll just sit there and I'll hang out for those 30 or 40 minutes while the sun sets with binoculars and just sit there and watch and see which way the ducks are moving. And there's plenty of times I go to a marsh and I'm like, I don't see a duck. So then the next night I go to a different marsh or a different, I mean, but I'm only out that 40 minutes or an hour. I'm not out like four or five like spending a whole day scouting because i agree i feel like that's pretty unproductive most of the time
3: yeah and you know there's it's hard because you'll you'll go to spots and then you know you want to stay out that late or whatever to watch it and sometimes you know it's sunny out and sometimes you can see those birds cruising the skyline but mm-hmm. you know on those days where you got real heavy overcast or it's raining and you know, your binoculars are only good for a certain amount of light. And then you just can't see. And you, and then you're like, Oh, I don't know if it's a cloud or flock of ducks or whatever. Right. And I start playing tricks on you and everything. But yeah, I mean, I would say the majority of the time that last half hour of light is, that gives away a lot of keys. And I also, I see a lot of guys. I'll go out and scout marshes. And for instance, last year, I was in a boat a couple of times. And I went out scouting and I think it was, uh, it had to be like a Thursday or Wednesday night. I went out and there was probably 45 minutes of light left. I got there and two boats were coming in and they're like, oh, you know, there's a couple ducks. Like I didn't really see a whole lot of nothing. And, you know, you, you kind of got to take it for granted. It's like, you know, maybe they're telling you there are no ducks here, or maybe they seen a bunch and they just don't want you finding them. So kind of gotta right. take a salt and find it for yourself but you know i see people leaving marshes they're saying there ain't no ducks there and i'll go in there i'll come out at dark and i'm like well i just watched 300 ducks pour into the slough but you guys were driving home already because you didn't want to stay and watch right and we go and hunt it that following weekend or the next day or whatever it may be and you know we usually we usually do pretty good scouting pays dividends and
2: i think i i really truly really do believe that unless if you're in some magical private you have this magical private hole that ducks just absolutely love and if you keep the pressure off they stay there all year long i mean unless you have something yeah. like that i mean you just need to scout uh you can't scouting is like if you want to have successful hunts and I know everyone's de- de- definition of successful is different, right? Like I don't need to go out and shoot limits to have a successful hunt, but going out and not seeing any birds while I can still have fun, I wouldn't call that a successful hunt anymore. I mean, at that point I didn't do enough scouting at that point I did something wrong. So it's that scouting is what like, at least, you know, there's birds in the area. Like it, it just, it makes it worth going to hunt, I guess I would want to say, but it's kind of weird too. Cause it's like, I don't base my hunt on a limit either. So it's, it's yeah. this weird balancing act of, I want to make sure I'm hunting where there's birds. Cause I'm really out there to hunt birds, but I don't base my hunt success off killing birds. It's, it's just a weird mental thing I got. I don't know.
3: <laughs> no. And I, I would agree to a point. I mean, you know, for at least for me, I, uh, I try to do everything as ethical as I can. You know, I, I try to make the cleanest shots. I try to make good shots, I try not to shoot ducks that are too far away, try not to shoot a deer that's too far away or quartering too far towards me. You know, if I, if I feel uncomfortable in any way, taking a shot, I, I tend to not take those shots. Um, not saying that I ever haven't because I have, you know, and I've, I've lost ducks and it, it just doesn't sit right with me. You know, I would rather hold off on those, let them make another loop or, you know, maybe they fly away, but you know, it's for me, knowing that I didn't just wound an animal and it now it's just out there suffering or I'm shooting ducks that I shouldn't have shot or whatever it may be. I try to be as ethical as I can with it. Um, And that's when it kind of comes down to, you know, of like what kind of hunter are you? Are you out there to just Mm -hmm. shoot and kill or are you out there to actually enjoy the pursuit, enjoy the hunt and enjoy like the, the scenery and the camaraderie that you get from duck hunting, you know, and some of the best hunts that I've had, We've shot a couple ducks and it, it but it was still some of the best hunts that I've had.
2: Absolutely. And that's where I'm too. And I think everybody I think a lot of people get there. I mean, a lot of people start with like wanting to prove themselves that they know what they're doing to get their limits. But I think as that changes, and I know it has for me, it's it's about the entire experience now. It's about watching my dog, it's about the marsh waking up. It's that entire that entire experience is what drives me to continue going. And that's yeah. where, and that's that's where i get that main enjoyment from is that that experience and and like you said I, i'm probably over cautious to a fault now where i'll let birds circle where people be like dude those were well within range and i'll be like eh, they weren't feet down enough yet or like they were they were they weren't committed like now i'm to the like there, i've been at hunts where i'm like i really want feet i want them back that's the only way i'm pulling it like i want them back and and they'll circle well within range and slow down. I'll just be like, eh, it's not what I'm looking for today. And yeah. where I, I won't do that. If I have someone else with me, especially like an, an experienced hunter or something like that. But if I'm with someone else, that's like on the same page as me. And like, we want like either like to get some short video of it. Like I said, I don't do the YouTube thing, but we'll still record stuff here and there or take pictures. I'll bring my good camera with, and if I can get some good photos of, back, of ducks backpedaling, and then someone shoot like that to me is like, all right, that's cool. Like,
3: that's yeah, funny. yeah, and I would agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like an art to convince ducks. You know, I mean, you just throw all these plastic things out there, molded like ducks. You know, and you're loosening <laughs> you know, on your call and to just persuade an animal into thinking that like this is real is, you know, it's it's an art, and it's something that I tend to enjoy a lot. You know, and I I used to do the same thing. I used to just they'd swing at thirty yards, and I would take them or whatever. But now it's yeah, having that big flock of mallards, all their orange feet down backpedaling. Like that's just that'll sit with me forever. I would rather see that than, you know, wound a duck or something.
2: Oh, agreed. I'd rather have one good flock come in feet down, backpedaling, and like everything like just works like that, then have a limit of pass shooting, even at like an ethical range of twenty-five or thirty yards, but they never really commit. They just circle and I'd much rather have one flock fully commit than take a limit of like 25 yard, like circling birds.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's just just an experience that, you know, not a lot of people get to see it and it's, it's cool to be able to do something like that.
2: I've had a couple of really fun ones too. Like I really was big into field hunting geese, not so much anymore. I'm starting to put together another field spread. I kind of got out of it, but I had a couple of those times where like, you got like those three or four to land and you have another flock coming behind you and you got like three or four geese walking through your decoys and you've got birds cupped up coming over the tree line like those like that i can i still remember that haunt because it was like the first time we got birds to land and we continued to work other birds i'm like this is amazing like this is like something i've never experienced before because these geese are like 30 yards away walking through our decoys now and we're like sitting there in the layout blinds and we're still calling they're not freaking out and like you got this group of like 10 or whatever it was behind them just locked up and committed i'm like
3: this is awesome like that was
2: when i really got hooked on like field hunting geese.
3: yeah yeah and that's something i want to get better in is is field hunting. You know, I, I really don't do a whole lot of it here in Wisconsin. I kind of primarily stick to water and puddle ducks, but last year I kinda of dabbled with it. I actually shot my first mallard in a field last year. Uh so nice. that was cool for me. But yeah, it it kind of you know ignited something else that I wanna start chasing and start getting better at. Because it's just a challenge. You know, I feel like for the most part, I mean I'm not perfect and I'm definitely not the best duck hunter, but we do really well when it comes to water uh, with just figuring out our spreads, how to play ducks. We, we do really well. So now it's something it's just another challenge I want to take on is to commit to field hunting and trying to figure that out, whether it's geese or ducks or whatever it may be, just figuring that out and learning a new skill is always, always a plus to me.
2: Field hunting fun. I don't know what, our, I don't know what's more work to be honest they're both a lot of work. They are. I mean, there's there's pl- there's one field hunt I remember where it was just super wet and just muddy, and we couldn't drive in the field because it was just too muddy, and we didn't – like the farmer probably wouldn't have ca- – like we knew the farmer. We were in really good terms. He wouldn't have cared, but we didn't want to wake him up to get the tractor out to get us out because that's how muddy it was. and there, there's just, We weren't going in there with an enclosed trailer and that stuff, so we humped all of our full-body decoys in hundreds of yards into this field and afterwards i was just spent yeah like we we had an awesome hunt it was a great hunt but afterwards i'm looking at all those decoys and that thought crosses your mind like the farmer can just till them in i don't even care
3: (laughs) yeah definitely uh definitely been in those shoes i think i think every
2: waterfowl hunter has at some point where the it was just so much work and you're looking at those decoys like do I make enough money to just replace them?
3: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, some of those, some of those full bodies, they can get pretty heavy too.
2: Oh yeah. That they can. And then when you're only carrying four or six at a time and you're trying to set up three or four dozen, you're just walking back and forth and back and forth. And now I do things a little differently. I've got like some carts I can use, or I've got some collapsible wagons that work good for certain situations. And, I've started using decoy sleds also if it's that wet and muddy sleds sometimes will pull halfway decent or in a marsh I use a sled too because it seems to pull halfway decent but I'm trying to not I'm trying to carry less and work smarter
3: (laughs) yeah (laughs) I uh I feel that
2: I've also like I said because I got out of the field hunting I sold my enclosed trailer I sold all my full bodies and I've actually made the switch to silhouette so I can carry four dozen silhouettes on one shoulder with my back, with my blind and my gun, my case all at one trip. I mean, you get a couple of, you get four dozen silhouettes out there. I still have some shells and some other things. I mean, you can make a really, really good looking spread for a lot less weight.
3: Yeah. It's funny that you say that. Cause last year was the first year I got into silhouettes. Um, i um, starting to buy some, some silhouettes this year to kind of get my own field spread going. But yeah, I mean, you know, we were dragging those full bodies and we had B2 full bodies. So, I mean, they're not, they're not the lightest thing in the world. So we're dragging those things through field, you know, and my buddy comes up with his five dozen silhouettes and he's just walking like he's going through a park. And I'm like, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> I mean, there's, I wasn't, I wasn't sure on how they would do, you know, because to me, I was like, just like a piece of cardboard that looks like a goose pretty much you know right um, then i started to do a little more research on them see what guys are doing with them and people are doing phenomenal with silhouettes and it's for the price point and for the convenience of just being able to carry five dozen in a bag and have your blind on your back when your gun with you and whatever and not be drenched in sweat by the time you get out to the field it's right. just, it just makes complete sense
2: and it's cool like if you set up a big enough spread i only have four dozen but i've hunted over 12 at one point like with other buddies and whatnot that were really big into it if you see it from an aerial view with a drone it looks way different than what it does on the ground it really does because like as you come over the top like as like they disappear and then you can see them again it almost looks like they're moving because yeah, like it's, is, it's, it's it's like a 2d shape in a 3d world i don't know how to describe it but it's like they move because like you see some, then you don't then you see more and you don't see them and it's like they're it, it's weird but i can see why it works when you look at it
3: from up above yeah that was one video i watched on youtube actually um it was from the dive bomb guys and sure. i mean they make they make a bunch of decoys and whatnot too and i i do enjoy their decoys i i enjoy watching their videos they're all Really well knowledge guys when it comes to pretty much anything, waterfall. They they do really phenomenal work. They make really good gear. But yeah, that was one thing that they were doing. They were flying drones over their spread and kind of explaining on why they make silhouettes, why they set stuff up a certain way. And that was one point they made was for the geese, when they're flying over, they'll, they'll see them and then they'll disappear and then they'll see them again or they'll swoop around, come in at a different angle. And it just makes it look like the geese are moving around. And it kind of takes their attention away from stuff that's just sitting still, like not a, not as well a brush blind or whatever it may be, you know, something something glaring because you left a candy wrapper or something on the edge or whatever it may be. It it kind of keeps their eyes distracted and kind of helps them commit to the to the spread.
2: And I've seen like I think I've actually seen that I uh, probably that same dive bond video. And even after watching it, I'm like. Yeah, that's marketing, right? Like they have everything positioned, right? They took hundreds yeah. and hundreds of passes to make it look really good. So like when we tried it, like I was shocked at how like it, how similar it actually looked for us just setting them out. And like, we didn't adjust anything. Like we just flew the drone around. I'm like, this actually works. Like, this is real. Like now I understand, like I'm not buying full bodies anymore. We'll just run the shell. Like I run shells now cause they're lightweight and you can pack in a dozen shells easy. And then I run full, Silhouettes and the shells. I feel like just give it a little more, a little bit different of a look. But I think I run like five dozen silhouettes to a dozen shells is what my setup is right now. And if I'm going to add, I'm probably going to stay right around that same ratio. And I don't
3: think I'll buy full bodies again. Yeah, I'm kind of over the full body games. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll keep some just to kind of break up the the look of the spread and the outlines. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty much fully committed to silhouettes. It's.
2: When, once you have success over them as well, it's like, why have I been doing this the other way? Like, especially like if you can't drive into the fields you're going, if you can drive in silhouette, like it doesn't matter at that point. Now you're only, now you're making shorter walks. It's not that big of a deal to set up dozens of full bodies, but when you can't walk in, if the farmer's like, if if there's like winter wheat planted, or if you're hunting over cut alfalfa and you try to cut it again, if it's early season or something crazy like that, like, yeah, like, just being able to carry in all the decoys and have a good spread is so worth it.
3: Oh yeah. I would agree. It just makes it way more convenient and it is for everybody, you know, even on, even on cleanup and big crews. I mean, you still got a lot of guys, but you know, it's a lot of work, a lot of decoys and being able to just throw 10 dozen over your shoulders and just walk out. It's, it makes life way easier. I agree. I agree. I'm happy.
2: I made the change. Happy! I made the change. No, that's that's actually another change I've been thinking about. Have you seen? The, what do you? What are your thoughts on the lifetime decoys for ducks?
3: Oh man! <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> now yeah. I don't normally talk decoys or anything like this, but I'm curious because we're talking lightweight now. Yeah. I haven't so, made the change, and I know a couple guys that absolutely love them. So I'm curious if you've hunted
3: over them. I've never hunted over them. I know a couple guys that use them. Um, from what, and I, I've, I've seen them, I've felt them, I've carried them, never hunted over them. Um, for me personally, it just comes down to the financial thing. They are expensive, um, but they are extremely well made. And if I, if I didn't have to budget on a waterfall basis of being able to support myself and and all that uh if i just had endless money to blow um on decoys i would 100 buy lifetime decoys they're phenomenal decoys and extremely lightweight uh that it's it's the weight that
2: gets it to me like especially like when i'm out in the canoe or, or my kayak like i don't want to be humping around 100 pounds worth of decoys if i don't have to like yeah. changing over to the i mean I, it's always in the back of my head i'm like they're so much lighter but there's there's so much money
3: yeah they are and they were lighter than i thought they were going to be you know i i seen all the commercials for them and whatnot on youtube and seen the advertisements on instagram and all that but until i actually like had one in my hands and was able to like look over the the artwork on it and be able to feel it it was yeah it's It definitely changed the game, but it definitely comes down to a financial standpoint with some people. And I think that's for a lot of people is, you know, a lot of people don't have $120 to drop on half a dozen duck decoys. and I agree. And you got, you know, you got to, depending on how you line them, I run Texas rigs on all my decoys, you know, so that's for roughly for like a 48 inch Texas rig for a dozen is almost 50, 55 bucks. So I mean, and I've made and that, decoys I, and, right.
2: It all adds up quick. I mean, I always joke around like, like, cause I mentor people and whatnot and they're like, and then after duck hunting, a lot of times are like, oh, I really want to get into this. I'm like, careful what you wish for. Cause of all the hunting I do, this is hands down the most expensive when it comes to hum- all the stuff you need.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's endless on what you can do. I mean, every year I spend a couple grand on duck hunting and I, towards the end of the year I'm like you know I, I feel good you know I got all this new stuff I got you know I got a lot and then the next season starts coming up and then I start thinking about all those things where I'm like oh you know that would have been nice to have like this would have been nice to have. like oh I need this I need this and but it kind of goes with like the more you learn too I mean once you start to because I feel like everyone starts out with a dozen mallard decoys and right a couple floaters geese or something like that and they kind of run off that. And I've shot a lot of ducks over that. I've shot a lot of ducks over half a dozen mallards. Um, but as you progress in hunting and you start to grow and your scouting ventures and stuff too, you start to stumble upon more and more ducks. And for me, I try to make it as most realistic as possible. And if I'm hunting three, 400 ducks, I try to have somewhat of a, a good spread out. And it also depends on, you know, like wind and weather and, and all that. But for just being, for just, for just starting out, you can definitely, definitely put down a lot of ducks with a dozen mallards.
2: Agreed. Agreed. And don't be afraid. Like, don't think you always need a dozen also. I mean, some of the small potholes I've hunted, I've just brought five or six head mail, especially early in the year. I mean, if you've got a small pothole that, that works real well and, I've hunted over five or six hen mallards. I didn't even put a drake out there. I mean, drakes aren't that pretty that time of year. I mean, more realistic to me was nothing but a handful of hen mallards at that point. I mean, they're all pretty brown. So yeah. and I've had great success over something as simple as that, too. I've hunted on the Mississippi over dozens and dozens of decoys before and had great success. I really think, like you said, you have to kind of tailor it to where you're hunting.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me last year we, uh, we found this marsh and it was holding a lot of ducks, but they kind of like one week they'd be there another week they wouldn't. And we couldn't really figure out like what was all going on and why they were there. Um, I mean, we, we knew why they were using it, but we couldn't figure out why they would shift through there a lot. And I still never figured it out. Um, but I just, it was one of those spots, you know, I would, I would just check periodically. And when they were there, we just, we just hit it. Um, and we ran five, five five and a half dozen, dozen mallards. We had Higdon Pulsators. I think we had four of those. Uh, Higdon Crazy Kicker. And we had a Mojo. And we absolutely just piss-pounded them. Um, nice. Every, every spread we ever saw in that area was never even close to what we threw. But then right after we did that spread, it never worked again. Um, We ran a spread similar to that like two weeks later and they didn't want nothing to do with it. Um, So we completely switched our style up. We found ducks in there again, went back in there and ran just over a dozen, but ran a lot more drakes. And I think we only had like three hens Um, and same thing. They never saw it coming. Sure. Um, It was still the same amount of numbers, same amount of birds um and it was mainly all mallards we had some gadwells in there had some pintails in there but for the majority of it it was mallards um so they caught on to our spread and we just switched it up on them and i believe that some of the ducks that we hunted were still the same ducks we hunted over the first spread but yeah i mean just switching spreads out and playing ducks by ear is definitely something that you got to do throughout the season
2: I agree. I agree. If you're throwing the, if you have the exact same spread as everybody else out there, like that's something I won't do. I mean, there's been times I've changed my spread. Like if you hunt a bigger marsh, some of the bigger marshes that are run by me, like you can see what other people are hunting over. Like it's, it's not hard, even though you're spread out, you can, you still have an idea of how many ducks they're hunting over. And if everybody around me has a small spread, I'll probably throw a big spread if everybody around me is running giant spreads, I'll probably tailor my spread way back. If everybody's running mojos, I won't like, I yep. kind of like try to do opposite of what other people around me are doing. Cause I don't want to, if they see the same thing, if they're flying overhead and they seen the same spread, like basically the same spread, almost the same spread again. Like I don't want to just be one of those other spreads out there. I want to look different. I want to try to look more realistic and, every duck spread on the water isn't doesn't look the same and if everybody's out there looks the same they're going to kind of think like something ain't
3: right here yeah yeah and that's kind of goes back to what i was saying when it comes to the scouting is like hunting the pressure is is looking at and observing what everybody else is doing and making your decisions built off of that you know i mean nothing's for sure um but if you can if you can line up as much stuff as you can and be like you know i check this box like this is where the ducks were yesterday like everybody's hunting over a dozen mallards and two mojos. You know, you check that. So you're like, all right, not running a dozen mallards and two mojos or, you know, they're, they're all hail calling or whatever they're doing. Um, if you can just try to do the opposite of what people are doing and like what you said, just make it as realistic as possible. I, I feel like that definitely helps you out. Definitely in pressured properties. That's for sure.
2: I agree. And it's, it's like, it's harder to get away from the pressure. At least I think so. Like, I feel like it's getting harder to get away from the pressure. I don't know if there's more hunters out there. I don't know if ducks are just concentrating in different areas, which are easier to access, but I feel like I'm hunting far more pressured areas now than I ever used to.
3: Yeah. And I would say with like, it's kind of a little bit of everything. I mean, definitely with social media and stuff, it's, know a lot of guys can go on youtube and watch videos about duck hunting or goose hunting or deer hunting or pheasant hunting whatever it may be and something can spark their interest and they're like you know i want to i want to go try that not saying that people shouldn't continue to hunt and there shouldn't be new hunters but it's just a challenge that we've got to adapt to is learning how to hunt with more pressure and where i'm located in wisconsin which is like southern east wisconsin there is a lot of pressure um but I, i i also enjoy the pressure because there's A couple hunts, one specifically, I went on three years ago, uh, we actually hunted out of a boat and I'm not big out of hunting out of boats. Um, but we also couldn't touch the bottom. So we didn't really have a choice. (laughs) Didn't feel like sitting there, treading water and holding the shotgun. (laughs) Um, and I scouted the spot the night before, saw a couple boats up in there. Um, decent sized marsh and i found the exact hole where they wanted to be and it was just this flooded grass patch and a lot of cover a lot of food and not too many people were going through that section um but it was also like you know a lot of guys will check like the edges of marshes or whatever and it was right in the middle of this marsh um and we were the first ones out there the following day and i had three boats come past me two boats stopped shy of me and another one Way farther in the marsh, and for the first half hour of shooting light, we knocked down. It was just me and another guy. We knocked down ten birds, and nobody else shot that whole first half hour. And we consistently went, kept going back to the regulations. We're like, you know, we we checked four or five times that it was open because we're like, you know, there's ducks flying everywhere and they're just piling into this hole that we're in, but nobody else was shooting. Um. And when we got back to the launch, we were the first people back to launch. We had two boats come back and they're like, yeah, you know, we, we shot one duck or, you know, we saw four ducks and it's like, well, we, we had a couple hundred come in, right. in the half, 45 minutes of the, and we were done. And, you know, then they're like, Oh, where'd you go? And blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, we were hunting the same marsh. I'm like, you just, you just weren't in the right hole. But I'm like, they were there. And then, Sure enough, those people that I told that we hunted, you know, they ended up finding the hole that we hunted and that following weekend, um, I was out there scouting and they were out there in the afternoon hunting it. Um, you know, a lot of people get upset when they see other guys in their, in their holes or whatever it may be, but it's, to me, it's, you know, I, I already shot the birds that were using that. So go ahead and hunt it. Like, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's public land. You have right. just the right to be there as I do. I found the birds before you, I hunted them before you, you know, and, the, and they just could have well found the birds before me and hunted it before me, but I scouted harder. I found the birds first. I got on them first and that's just kind of how it goes when it comes to pressured birds It's just, you gotta be faster and smarter than everyone else.
2: Right. And you can't, I mean, you go out and hunt a spot. You're, I mean, you're putting all your chips on the table. I mean, there's one spot that I found that I'm going to hunt next year that a lot of people think you can't legally hunt, but you can. Like I really dug a lot of deep research into it and it's a very unique situation, but nobody hunts that. And throughout the year, like towards the end of the year, it turns into this little sanctuary because everybody thinks you can't hunt it. And I spent hours, I made multiple phone calls, everything about it. It looks very deceiving, but it is legal. Yeah. So I'm going to wait. I'm gonna be patient. Wait until all those birds. Because I mean, last year that's just where they wanted to be and wanted to be. And I, and I once I do it once, though. I mean, the, the word's out. Like it, it's like yeah, it's I'm gonna have stuff. to wake. I'm gonna have to wake up earlier than the next guy. I'm gonna have to get there first. And after a hunt or two, I mean, it's no longer gonna be that bird sanctuary. It's gonna be like the rest of the marsh, high, high pressured. But. I'm going to pay, play my cards right. I'm going to wait till we got a good amount of birds in here and I'm going to go hunt it. And it's going to be phenomenal. And we're going to get back to the ramp and everybody's going to be like, you can't hunt that. And I'll be like, look at it for yourself, man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that goes back to, it too, you know, is, is I feel like some guys just don't do enough research on certain properties and they're, they're It does get confusing. I mean, there's freaking boundary lines all over the place. Oh, yeah you hunt if you hunt by a wild refuge there's refuge signs everywhere and it does get confusing um but in my experience most DNR wardens will either help explain it to you I've had DNR actually come out and you know verify what I'm doing and you know like show them on my phone like hey this is like where I'm planning on going like just want to double check and I think before you do anything, if you are seriously questioning a spot, if you can hunt it or not, is definitely talking with your nearest game warden and just trying to figure that out. Um, The last thing you want to do is be caught red handed for something that you shouldn't be doing, even though you think you're perfectly fine in there. It's always better to just double check, make sure you're legal. Um, And it's just more enjoyable then.
2: I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I already talked to the warden about this. I talked to the County Sheriff's department about it. I mean, I made multiple phone calls to confirm what I was looking at. So I agree, like if it's not cut and dry, like if it's kind of questionable, you really gotta do that extra step of research and make those phone calls. Cause not only that, cause once you've made these phone calls, if people truly do think it's not legal, someone's gonna probably call you in. I mean, it's yeah. gonna happen. So there's only a couple of wardens per county. I mean, now granted if they call the sheriff's department, You'd have to make sure they talk to the right cop, but that's a little different. But I mean, if you've done all your research, odds are when that phone call gets made, they'll be like, he already checked with me. That is actually legal.
3: Yeah, it's that's funny because <laughs> I've found a spot similar to that last year, actually. Um, and I stared at it on a map for a while and I was looking at all boundary lines and I was like, I don't see how you couldn't hunt it. Um, and it definitely does not look like you can hunt it. Um, and I, I got super confused and I just started to frustrate myself over it. And I ended up talking to a game warden and the first game warden I actually talked to said I couldn't hunt it. Um, and my buddy called me crazy because I started arguing with him and I was like, you know, I was being super polite. I wasn't being rude or anything like that, but I was like, I've done all the research on it, checked boundary lines, like walked out there. I did everything I possibly could do. And I was like, no, you legally can hunt this. I'm like, you have to. I was like, I just, I know you can. Um, so he actually had me send him a pin of the spot I wanted to hunt. I sent him a printout of like the map overlays and the boundary lines. Um, and it was by a refuge. And he actually talked to the boundary guy who deals with all like the boundary lines and all that. And he actually came back and told him that I was correct. Um, so the warden called me back and he's like, Hey, uh, Yeah, you can hunt that area. He's like, I apologize for, he's like saying what I did. And he's like, I just didn't know. Um, But he's like, I checked with everybody. And he's like, you can, you can hunt it legally. Um, He's like, just make sure you got your gun in your case when you're walking. And all that gave me a rundown on what you should do. And um, I was never, I was never yelling at him or like that type of argument. But I was sternly saying, hey, like, I disagree with what you're saying. I've done all the research on it. Um, and same thing is I was like, I was like, Hey, uh, I was like, hopefully we don't get called in. And he's like, well, he's like, if you get called in, he's like, I'll be the one, the phone call that like, gets answered by. So he's like, <laughs> you don't gotta worry about it.
2: <laughs> but then once you hunt that, if anybody notices it, that thought it was off limits. I mean, you throw all your, like all your chips are on the table. Like it's open for everyone now. I mean, it's, it's, oh, yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Like. You have to, t- like, when you find these places, and, there, and there's a lot of them out there, there's a lot of places like this out there where you you do the research, and you're like, you really can hunt this. Once you, th- I mean, you got to, like, you got to time it right. Like, you got to make sure there's birds in the area. Like, that's not just something you just jump into on a hope and a prayer. Like, that's something you scout, you save, you make sure the birds are there. Because once you hunt that once, like, everybody's going to know
3: about it. Oh, yeah. Secret gets out fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, we did. I mean, let's t- we I mean we can touch base quick on your YouTube channel. I know you got a small YouTube channel. You're getting off the ground. How's that going for you?
3: Um, it's funny. So last year, I I've thought about it for years. You know, I've watched like Dan Infall. I've watched the Hunting Public. I've watched some of the Dive Bomb guys, and I've always been interested in it. Um, and I always told myself, you know, I was like, oh, I'm gonna start record my hunts, and then you know, hunting season would go by, and I'm like, oh, like I. I just didn't do it. Like, I don't know why. And I just kind of kept making excuses for myself. And then last year I was like, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to just do it. I had a cheap little Canon T6 DSLR camera. I bought a GoPro. um, And this was all new to me. I've never done any sort of filmmaking, any sort of like photography. (laughs) Really, I always enjoyed like having good photos. Um, Sure. Just of like pile pics and taking a photo of deer and all that. Like I always just enjoyed having those photos to look back on for the memories. Um, And I think that's why I kind of got into the YouTube thing is, you know, being able to go back and actually rewatch the hunt. I can almost relive it in a sense. Um, Now the videos that I came out with last year, they're terrible for (laughs) for what I could do. I mean, it's.
2: But you got to start somewhere. I mean, that's the only way to start.
3: But I, I enjoyed it. And that, that's why i liked it um it it's still memorable to me is being able to go back and you know no one's just a professional the first time they start trying to do videography and all that i had no idea what i was doing i watched countless youtube videos trying to figure stuff out and i mean it's definitely getting better um i've upgraded camera equipment i started to get into it more i start practicing a lot more i actually went out quite a bit this year um like over the winter and I was just practicing editing videos, practice making videos, practice talking in front of a camera, sure. all that and all that stuff pays off. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm excited for this year. I actually got a, a turkey hunt coming up this weekend, actually, that nice. I'll be filming, and then I'll be filming my buddy's turkey hunt the following weekend. But yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Um, and now it's becoming more of a passion is not only, not only can I enjoy the passion of hunting, but now I can kind of like freeze those memories and time for people by making the video. So they can always come back and look at it. And it's, it's getting difficult between like, do I want to pick up the shotgun or do I want to pick up the camera? Um, right. You know, and I've, I've shot a lot of ducks. Um, I enjoy it. I oh, Still duck hunt, still deer hunt. Um, but I am going to dive more into the YouTube game this year. So I'm pretty excited for that. I got some good buddies that are, into photography and videography so that we're going to kind of all work together and kind of push that out. Um, but yeah, I'm going to just keep practicing, keep getting at it, see, see what I can create. And I want to be inf- informational for everybody. I don't want it to be just like you go on YouTube and you see some of these hunt videos and it's like, Oh, ad for this, ad for this, I add for this. You know, it's, I don't want nothing to do with that. I want people to be able to either get entertainment out of it or information out of it. Sure. Um, and for me, being able to share that to somebody else and show other people an experience that I enjoy and show my passion is something that, you know, I, I really enjoy it. And I just want to want to keep sharing those experiences with people.
2: I get that 100 percent. That's why I mentor. I mean, that's a big reason why I mentor first time hunters. I mentor. I work with different nonprofits for veterans and first responders. I take kids out hunting. I mean, that's a big reason I do that. I'll give you credit. Like I have no patience for for editing video. I just can't. I sit in front of a computer all day long for work. I cannot sit in a computer and just edit videos. Like it takes me, it takes me enough of my mental like aptitude just to be like, all right, I got to sit down and try to edit this like thirty second reel. Yeah. (laughs) Like doing five or ten minute YouTube videos, there's just no way. Yeah. Give you all the credit in the world, man.
3: It's definitely a challenge, but um, I'm definitely getting way better at it. I mean, the first video I ever did was off a DSLR and a GoPro, um, and some of the footage is all right. Most of it's crap um, compared to what I want to be doing in the future sure. and what I'm kind of working for. But I also enjoyed figuring it out. Um, it's a challenge. And to be able to take something and just kind of like make it into something you just go back and rewatch and relive that's just so intriguing to me. So being able to, to get better at that and be able to like tell a story through the videos is something that I'm working on and definitely getting better with. And I'm hoping that this year is a a big step in the right direction. I got better equipment, got some people that are definitely willing to help out and understand what's all going on and where I want to go with things. Um, So I'm excited for it. I'm excited to be able to share it with everybody else and, I hope people can get some sort of entertainment or some sort of information out from it.
2: That's awesome, man. On that note, why don't, why don't you take the next couple of minutes, let everybody know where they can find your YouTube channel, Instagram. If you got a Facebook page, Twitter, I don't know who's got Twitter, but I always offer it out there.
3: So <laughs> <laughs> I'm never at a Twitter. I, I don't know. If I ever um, but, no. Yeah. So on YouTube, it's just quacks and quivers outdoors. Um, same with our website, just quacksandquiversoutdoors.com. I actually just started coming out with apparel. I actually got one of the hats on right now. Um, I like I got, it. I, lo-
2: I like the old school camel man. I'm, a, yeah, I'm a fan of the old school trucker hat. Yeah,
3: yeah I love it. It's uh, you know, so it's, it's not for everybody, but you know, you have the option. You're not forced. To find <laughs> that. That's the best part. Um, but yeah, I love the old school camel. Love the old school look. That's just something I I wanted to have on the website. Um, but yeah, I just got hoodies, some hats coming out um got some t-shirts coming out for summer uh and then instagram is just quacks and quivers outdoors as well but yeah it's it's something that you know it's interesting being on social media and the people you meet just all enjoying the same thing that you're out chasing it's it's cool to have that like link between everybody
2: i agree it's it's amazing how big the community is but how small it can feel like for all, I mean, I can't, there's only a handful of times I've messaged someone and, and I blind message people all the time. I, I didn't really know you. I'm like, Hey, come on the podcast. Like they took me a long yeah. time to get out of my comfort zone to like do that, to like find guests even. Cause I'd never really planned on doing a podcast. It just kind of happened. Like it just kind of appeared to be honest, but um, like it's, a, it's blown my mind how receptive and friendly, like people really are in the community. And I'm the same way. I'll have people message me, Hey, how do you have this set up? Or how did you do this with your kayak? Or how'd you like, how'd you do this on your boat? And I'm like, Oh, Hey man, it's just like this here. Like, or I'll have someone be like, Oh, I saw you got that new that new light from like Southern light LEDs. Like, was it really worth it? I'm like, yeah, it really was. Like, I'm not going to lie about it. Like it was money well spent. Like the difference is night and day. It really is. But like, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Or if someone will message me and be like, Hey, what do you think of this piece of equipment I saw you using? I'll be like, it's trash. I'd never buy it. I won't say it publicly, but I'll tell you personally, I'd never buy it. So, I mean, it's just amazing how friendly and like forthcoming a lot of people are. If you ask the right questions, if you ask like about gear setups or like techniques, if you start asking like, Hey, where should I go hunt? That's not going to come across in the right light. But if you ask the right questions, I'm like trying to gain knowledge of, Hey, like, this is how I'm going to set up my, my hunt. What do you think? Or, this is the setup I think I'm going to use for my kayak. Do you see any problem? Like all of that stuff, all those questions. I've always been like, absolutely like here, do this, try this, do, do it this way. Oh, you like my setup? Here's links to everything I've installed on my kayak. Like, I don't care. You can make the exact copy of mine. It doesn't bother me one bit. Like go for it.
3: Yeah. And I, I would, I would definitely agree to that. It's, it's fun to be able to share that stuff, you know, cause everyone, everyone starts from something, you know, I mean, even the, Greatest deer hunters, greatest duck hunters, like nobody had a $40,000 duck boat, you know, Right? we don't start out with that. So it's, it's cool to be able to share those experiences and help, help new people kind of get a, get ahead of the game a little more than just trying to guess for themselves. So that a lot of it, you got to learn yourself, but, you know, being able to, to help and reach out is, is definitely the part of social media that I enjoy.
2: I agree, man. I agree 100%. Well, I will drop links to all of your stuff in the comments for the show. So everybody can check out your YouTube channel and watch it grow. I think it's gonna be great. I'll keep an eye on it. I think I already subscribed. If I didn't, I will. Um look forward to next season, man. I hope you have a great duck season. I hope you are able to chase them bucks and like really get a good pattern on one and really enjoy that experience. I think that's really cool. I'm ho- I-, I hope you video it. I hope you video it. I'll be I'll be interesting to
3: watch with you. Oh, it'll be there. It'll be there. That'll be awesome. Yeah, That'll be awesome. It, yeah. I got a turkey hunt coming up this weekend. So that'll be uh that'll be going up here soon. Awesome.
2: Yeah, I look forward to the future for you, man. I think it'll be cool. Um, all my listeners, thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, keep chasing that experience.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Finn. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com, catch us on YouTube.